So I'm going to start out a little different today. Most of you have um, probably been in church for a while and you've heard things, so I'm going to give you a pop test today. So I won't, I'm going to ask a question. I want you to yell it out. Okay? Yell out the answer. Who is Jesus? Son of God. Anything else? Friend? What did he do? Died on the cross for our sins. He's our Savior. What else did he do? Anything else? He rose from the grave. Rose from the grave. Got the keys to death in the grave. Walked on the water. Anything else? Raised people from the dead. Conquering king. He's healer. And if you're a believer, who are you? An heir. Join heir. Daughter. Who are you as a believer? Anything else? You're in him. And what are we to do as believers? Works of Jesus. Do as he did. Disciples. Love. Believe. Be healed. All right. So y'all have paid attention really well. <laughs> in church, I mean, that's kind of the foundation of our faith is who Jesus is and what he's done and who we are. Um, we speak a lot in this church about your identity and what Jesus finished and what we are called to do as believers. Now I'm going to um, shift gears a little bit and I'm going to talk about something that we don't really talk a whole lot about just for the sake of education, but I'm going somewhere, okay? So don't think we're going to, like, stay in this place. So I'm going to talk about darkness in the beginning, okay? Because Jesus, one of the things Jesus is, he's light. He said, I'm the light of the world. Then he said that as believers, we're to be light of the world, okay? And so, actually, I'm going to read um, in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, and I'll probably do a lot of reading of God's Word. Are y'all okay with that? Yeah. All right. It says, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things, y'all say all things, all were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. What was the first thing God created when he started creating? Light. Right? So this light thing, I think, is very important. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. And this man came for a witness to bear witness of the light, and all through him might believe. He was not the light, but he was sent to bear witness of the light. That was the true light, which gives light to every man coming into the world. I'm going to stop right there, and I'm going to just share something. Um, my husband sent it to me this week. So in the beginning, God spoke and he said, let there be light, and bam, there was light, okay? Something that had never been before, God spoke it. Well, Clint sent me an article, thank you. Clint sent me an article this week, because um, if you know me, I like science, and I like creation and all this. Well, what science has done is they have actually, um, they had an egg from a woman from a fertility clinic, and they had permission from this person, and um, these eggs were just going to be, end up being destroyed because they were doing fertility and the lady got pregnant. Anyway, so they had this egg. And so they went in and they tried to mimic what happens at conception. 
Now, they couldn't put a sperm with it because that's illegal, but what they did, I don't understand how they did it, but they went in and they actually tried to um, see what happens at conception. There's a bunch of technical things that says how they do what they did <clears throat> that I won't get into, but what happens at the moment of conception, sparks of light happen. So it brings, like, then you read this. I'm going to read it again. Think about that, that at conception, spark, these bursts of light. Who's light? God is light. He created light, and when a baby's conceived, sparks of light happens. And it says in verse 9, that was the true light which gives light to every man coming into the world. Now, that might mean a bunch of things, but I personally thought that that, you know, every man coming into the world, that that's what happens at conception, that that's the place where God comes in and puts his spirit. And so that one was free. All right. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as receive him, he gave them the right to become the children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born, not of blood or the will of flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. So basically, you know, we're going to do some, um, just some recap before we start talking about the darkness. You're born, light happens, or you're conceived, light happens, then you're born. And then what this is saying is then you have to have another experience, another born-again experience, because your spirit is dead, right? Your spirit man is dead, so you have to be reborn. And I personally think that that light gets released into your spirit, and your spirit is now born. What does that mean to be born again, that your spirit is actually made alive? Because before it's dead, then you get saved, and your spirit becomes alive. And so that means that you now have connection with God, that he dwells within you. You have connection with God. So until that happens, you, don't, you are disconnected from the power source of life. Okay? All right. So Jesus says, if we go to, stay in the Gospel of John and go to chapter 3. And we're going to go to 3.16. And then I'm going to keep reading. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. So that's our, as a church, our, one of our most favorite ones to go to when we talk about love. God so loved the world, he gave his only son. We keep reading. It says, For God did not send his, send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already. So did you catch that? If you don't have a born-again spirit, you're already condemned. It's not about God is condemning you. You're already condemned, all right? Verse 19, and this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes into the light that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. So light's important. So what's the purpose of light? Okay, I'm going to tell you what. We're going to talk about darkness for a second. First of all, we have an enemy, right? 
Okay, number one thing you have to know as a believer that you have to know about this enemy is that he's defeated. He is absolutely 100% defeated. He has absolutely no power and no authority in your life. All right, so we agree with that? Okay. But the enemy is very subtle because even with Eve, the first appearance that he makes in Scripture is where he deceives Eve, and he changes one word of what God says, and he makes you question. Okay? The other thing that we know about the devil is that he is the liar and the father of all lies. There is no truth in him. He wanted to be like God. He wanted to be worshipped like God. He's a deceiver. He accuses the brethren. And the only real power that he has is he has a really big mouth and he talks constantly. And if you believe the lie, whether it's the devil or demons, you know, whatever, the enemy, once you start believing the lies he's throwing at you, you have given him a way into your life to keep, to keep speaking, okay? So from what we just read, we can basically divide the world up into two parts, darkness and light, okay? Y'all with me? So who's the light? Who's the light? We are. The church is... We are, we are the light of the world. And if you aren't a believer, then what are you in? Darkness. Okay? So what are we supposed to do with this darkness? What are we supposed to do as light? We're supposed to go into the darkness. Let me read a couple of things that the Bible says about darkness. It says, light shines in the darkness, and the darkness does not comprehend the light. Okay? So every time I say light, I want you to think of believers. And when I say darkness, I want you to think about everybody else who's not a believer yet. Okay? Everybody else. All right. So they don't comprehend the light. Darkness blinds the eyes. Darkness does not know where they're going. Darkness has unfruitful works. Men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. There are rulers of the darkness in this age. First John 2, 8 says, but the darkness is passing away. Right? So there's darkness, but it's passing away. Why is it passing away? Because he's defeated and because we are called to shine light in the darkness. All right? So just think about it in the natural. If you enter into a dark room and you cut on the light, what's the things that immediately happens in the natural? You cut, you're in dark. You can see the darkness disappears. Right? You're not going to go around and stump your toe on something, on Legos that are on the floor. <laughs> or toys in the floor, or trip over shoes because the light's on. It causes you to see, okay? So I believe that the Lord gave me, really gave me this message. So um, I'm praying that the Holy Spirit's going to speak to you. And when he starts talking to you, you can just drown me out and start listening to him because he's got better things to say. And he's going to make it to you personally, Okay? the church has done really well. Now, I'm lumping all church. I'm, I'm going to say in our culture, this church in America, I know we're all different, right? And some people do things really well. Some churches do some things really well, and other churches do other things really well, okay? So this is kind of a blanket statement. The church has done a really good job evangelizing people. Can we agree with that? 
Like, we know how to evangelize. And sometimes our evangelism in some avenues looks like, oh, come and go to church. Come and go to church with me. Sometimes it's praying for people. Sometimes it's telling people um, that God loves them. We've done an excellent job about evangelizing. How do you think we've done on discipling? And Matthew, Jesus didn't say, go and um, tell everybody I love them. He said, go and disciple nations. And so my question to you, if we haven't been discipling America, because if we were discipling America, what should America look like? Okay. So if we're not discipling America, who's been discipling America? But there's more Christians, confessed Christians, in this country. So, so somewhere we're, we're missing the mark here. Because we are supposed to love, but we're also supposed to be light. And light shines in the darkness. We are to love individuals. We are to love everybody. Everyone was made in the image of God, and everybody has an original destiny that God spoke into them at that time of conception when light happened. Okay? We are to honor everyone, and we are to show respect to everyone, and we are to love everyone. But the darkness has a movement. Melanie gave me this example. I don't even know if she's in here because I was talking to her about this. And um, how many people have ever been in a swimming pool? And you're in the shallow end, and you start, you're like, let's get a, a wave. A, what is it called? A whirlpool happening. And you walk in a circle. You, know, you walk, and everybody's walking. And what happens, you, pretty soon you can lift your feet up, and the movement of the water will keep you going in a circle. Does everybody experience that? Okay. What happens if you're just standing there and you're not doing anything? What happens? The movement will end up taking you. So if you don't do anything, the movement is going to end up taking you. And that's what I feel like has happened is that the darkness has been moving and because the church hasn't stood up and been light, we're just moving with the enemy too. Right? And so... I was asking the Lord about this, just with, you know, everything that you see, whether it's on the news or Facebook or you talk to friends, whatever you see, like, there's just this, this stuff that's happening that, as the church, we don't like and we go against. And either you're in one group that says, well, it's okay because Jesus is coming back and I don't have to do anything, and I'm here to tell you that's the wrong attitude because you're called to steward your life and everything and what you eat, what you wear, what you listen to, what you watch who you talk to, how you communicate, your job, you're to steward everything about your life. So for you to say, Jesus, come back, it's okay. Like he just, Lord, come back quickly. Come back and take us away before all this stuff happens. That is the wrong attitude. Okay. So I was talking to the Lord about this, and I started thinking, because, you know, when Jesus was alive, he was a part of the Roman government, right? And they weren't, they were horrible. You know, so he had some of the same issues in government, same moral issues, because keep in mind, when Jesus was on earth, everybody was still in darkness, unless they were around Jesus, okay? So in the Gospels, and y'all correct me if I'm wrong, but I never see him actually go up against political leaders, right? He didn't really argue with the church leaders, but he had no problem calling them vipers or snakes, okay? So I was like, Lord, well, what are we supposed to do? And he, and, and so I listened, and he said, well, what did Jesus do? Jesus started a movement. It was a movement. And by the very nature, if you're in a movement with God, by that very nature, you're going to come against the movement of the enemy. Okay? 
You still love people. You still love individuals, but you have to be aware of the darkness. You have to be aware that you are in a world that has a world system that has been discipling our nation and has trying, they are trying to take the church's voice away. That is ultimately their goal. Now, you have permission to disagree with me if you want to. But their whole goal is to silence the church. And so I believe what the Lord has given me is just this message to say, start moving with the God. We can no longer afford to sit back and say, oh, God loves you. Even though you're, you're in this really, really bad place, God still loves you. It's true, but you're called to be light. You're called to be light to shine in the darkness. Okay, I'm going to shift gears for a minute. So y'all just keep all that, all right? Keep all that, and I'm going to shift gears for just a second, but I'm going to combine them in the end, okay? So I have three boys, and um, we read books, because that's why mothers do. We read books to our, our kids. And one of our favorite stories is Horton Hears a Who. How many people know Horton Hears a Who? Read the book, seen the movie? Does anybody not know that story? Okay. The really cool thing about Horton Hears a Who is the story goes like this. There's this big elephant. He has these huge ears. I mean, he's an elephant. Elephants are big, right? And all of a sudden, he hears something. He hears a voice, okay? And Horton goes, I think I heard something. You know, Dr. Seuss was so much better because he rhymes. I do find that after I read the story, I try to rhyme like the rest of the day. Like, I want to keep that. You just get in this rhythm. So um, he hears a voice, and he finds this speck, but he knows that the speck's not talking. There must be some really small people on the speck. Who's ever heard of anything like that before? You know, but God often does that, right? He speaks in this really quiet voice, and you turn to it, and you find out what he's saying, and sometimes you're going, that's kind of weird. That he, I've never, the world has not ever heard anything like this before, right? But Horton knew what he heard, and he put the little speck plaque on a speck on a flower, right? And he carries this flower. What's really interesting is in the natural, you know, about elephants, they have really, really good hearing, and they can even make this uh, sub subatomic sound that they'll go and nobody hears it but all elephants I think within like a 30 mile radius will hear it and they'll all go to this elephant who did it and then it's because they found underground water and they start to do this elephant dance isn't that cool yeah so elephants have really good sense of hearing right so um so Horton hears this flower and then what happens little kangaroo and the kangaroo's child come and go, you're crazy. There's nothing on that speck. You didn't hear anything. And they begin to counter everything that Horton just believed in, right? And so they do everything in their power to try to convince Horton that he didn't hear what he really heard and that he was being stupid and he needed to set down the flower. But he doesn't. Well, then they get some monkeys to come and they try to, they take the flower and this eagle comes and drops it in this thing. But Horton never gives up on the little speck of people. He truly believes, right? So the Lord spoke, speaks to me a lot through, you know, well, he speaks to you wherever you are in life. So for me, it's through children's movies and children's books because I see a lot of those. But um, so my question to you, I think we're all like Horton and we've all given, been given something to carry. And so my question to you is what are you called to carry? I'm going to read 
to you, and I'm going to read out of the Passion Translation, so I don't want you to go in your Bibles. I just want you to listen, okay? And it's going to be a lot of reading, but I want you, I want you to listen as if you have never heard this before, because some of it's going to be really familiar. I want you to listen like you've never heard it before, and I want you to allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you. Okay. <clears throat> Hebrews 11, and I'm going to read the whole thing. Now, faith brings our hopes into reality and becomes the foundation needed to acquire the things we long for. It is all the evidence required to prove what is still unseen. This testimony of faith is what previous generations were commended for. Faith empowers us to see that the universe was created and beautifully coordinated by the power of God's words. He spoke in faith, and the invisible realm gave birth to all that is seen. Faith moved Abel to choose a more acceptable sacrifice to offer God than his brother Cain, and God declared him righteous because of his offering of faith. By his faith, Abel still speaks better instructions to us today, even though he's long dead. Faith lifted Enoch from his life, and he was taken up into heaven. He never had to experience death. He just disappeared from this world because God promoted him. For before he was translated to the heavenly realm, his life had become a pleasure to God. And without faith living within us, it is impossible to please God. For we come to God in faith, knowing that he is real and that he rewards the faith of those who truly seek him. Faith opened Noah's heart to receive revelation from God about what was coming even things that had never been seen. But he stepped out of a reverent obedience to God and built an ark that would save him and his family. But by faith, the world was condemned. No, sorry. By his faith, the world was condemned, but Noah received God's gift of righteousness that comes by believing. Kind of sounds like Horton a little bit. Like, okay. Faith motivated Abraham to obey God's call and leave, a fami- leave the familiar to discover a territory he was destined to inherit from God. I'm going to read that one again from the Passion, okay? Faith motivated Abraham to obey God's call and leave the familiar to discover the territory he was destined to inherit. So he left with only a promise, and without even knowing ahead of time where he was going, Abraham stepped out by faith. He lived by faith as an immigrant in his, prom- in his promised land as though it belonged to someone else. He journeyed through the land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, who were persuaded that they were also co-heirs of the same promise. His eyes of faith were set on a city with unshakable foundations, whose architect and builder is God himself. Sarah's faith embraced the miracle power to conceive, even though she was barren and past the age of childbearing. For the authority of her faith rested in the one who made the promise, and she tapped into his faithfulness. In fact, so many children were subsequently fathered by this aged man of faith, one who was as good as dead, that he now has offspring as numerable as the sand on the seashore and as the stars in the sky. These heroes all died, still clinging to their faith, not even receiving all that had been promised them, but they saw beyond the horizon the fulfillment of their promises and gladly embraced it from afar. They all lived their lives on earth as if they belonged to another realm. 
For clearly those who live this way are longing for the appearing of a heavenly city. And if their hearts were still remembering what they left behind, they would have found an opportunity to go back. But they couldn't turn back, for their hearts were fixed on what is far greater, and that is the heavenly realm. So because of this, God, so because of this, God is not ashamed in any way to be called their God, for he has prepared a heavenly city for them. Faith operated powerfully in Abraham, for when he was put to the test, he offered up Isaac. Even though he received God's promise of descendants, he was willing to offer up his only son, for God has promised, through your son Isaac, your lineage will carry on your name. Abraham's faith convinced him that God would raise Isaac from the dead, and symbolically, that's exactly what happened. The power of faith prompted Isaac to impart a blessing to his sons, Jacob and Esau, concerning their prophetic destinies. Jacob worshipped in faith's reality at the end of his life. Leaning upon his staff, he remembered, no, he imparted a prophetic blessing upon each of Joseph's sons. Faith inspired Joseph and opened his eyes to see into the future. For as he was dying, he prophesied about the exodus of Israel out of Egypt and gave instruction that his bones were to be taken from Egypt with them. Faith prompted the parents of Moses at his birth to hide him for three months because they realized their child was exceptional and refused to be afraid of the king's edict. Faith enabled Moses to choose God's will, for although he was raised the son of Pharaoh's daughter, he refused to make that his identity. Choosing instead to suffer mistreatment with the people of God, Moses preferred faith's certainty above the momentary enjoyment of sin's pleasures. He found his true wealth in suffering abuse for being anointed more than in anything that the world could offer him. For his eyes looked with wonder, not on the immediate, but on the ultimate, faith's great reward. Holding faith's promise, Moses abandoned Egypt and had no fear of Pharaoh's rage because he persisted in faith as if he had seen God who was unseen. Faith stirred Moses to perform the rite of Passover and sprinkle the lamb's blood to prevent the destroyer from harming their firstborn. Faith opened the way for the Hebrews to cross the Red Sea as if, on, as if on dry land, and when the Egyptians tried to cross, they were swallowed up and drowned. Faith pulled down Jericho's walls after the people marched around them for seven days. Faith provided a way of escape for Rahab the prostitute, avoiding the destruction of the unbelievers because she received the Hebrew spas in peace. And what more can I say to convince you? For there is not enough time to tell you of the faith of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, Jephthah? Jephthah, thank you. David, Samuel, and the prophets. Through faith's power, they conquered kingdoms and established true justice. Their faith fastened onto the promises and pulled them into a reality. It was faith that shut the mouths of the lions, put out the power of the raging fire, caused many to escape certain death by the sword. In their weakness, their faith imparted power to make them strong. Faith sparked courage within them, and they became mighty warriors in battle, pulling armies from another realm into the battle array. Faith-filled women saw their dead children raised in resurrection power. Yet it was faith that enabled others to endure great atrocities. They were stretched out on the wheel and tortured. They didn't deny their faith in order to be freed because they longed for a more honorable and glorious resurrection. Others were mocked and experienced the most severe beatings with whip, they were in chains and imprisoned. Some of the faith champions were brutally killed by stoning, sawn in two, or slaughtered by the sword. 
These lived in faith as they went about wearing goatskins and sheepskins for clothing. They lost everything they possessed. They endured great afflictions, and they were cruelly mistreated. They wandered the earth, living in the desert wilderness, in caves, on barren mountains, and in holes in the earth. Truly, the world was not even worthy of them, not realizing who they were. These are the true heroes commended for their faith. Yet they lived in a hope without receiving the the fullness of what was promised them. But now God has invited us to live in something better than that, better than what they had, faith's fullness. This is so they could be brought to finished perfection along with us. Going to 12, I'm almost done. As for us, we all have these great witnesses who encircle us like clouds, each affirming faith's reality. So we must let go of every wound that has pierced us and every sin we so easily fall into. Really quickly, what I believe this is, is the things that happened to you that you had no power of, you have to forgive. And those things that you willfully have done against God, you have to receive forgiveness. Okay. Then we will be able to run life's marathon race with passion and determination for the path has already been marked out before us. We look away from the natural realm, so we fashion our gaze onto Jesus, who's birthed faith within us and who leads us towards into faith's perfection. His example is this. Because his heart was so filled with joy of knowing that you would be his, he endured the agony of the cross and conquered its humiliation and now sits exalted at the right hand of God. So basically... Chapter 11 talks about people who had faith that they endured much. Why were they able to endure it? The same reason why Jesus could endure the cross. Jesus endured the cross for the joy set before them. And when you're in faith, even if you don't see your promise, you die in faith. Okay? Just like Horton, who's carrying this flower, and he's got people telling him he's dumb— they try to steal it from him, he follows through. And I think the Lord is calling us to a place now where we, we're coming into a time where we're going to have to have something before us that keeps us faithful to what he's called us to do because you've all been called to something. Getting back to the darkness and the discipling of nations, how are we going to disciple this nation? Because we don't need more churches, right? If you're a musician, you don't have to play for a Christian band. Okay, hear me out. If you're an actress, you don't have to just go do Christian movies. We've separated ourselves. And it's time, think about this. What if you were an actor in Hollywood and you were in a movie? Now, I'm not telling you to take some raunchy role, but you're in Hollywood and you're in a movie and you're a believer. Your light is going to shine because you're not going to do the things that they do. You're going to be able to speak into people and have relationship with people that would not otherwise have any type of contact with Christians. If you like government, become a politician. If you're good at business, go be in business. The kingdom should go out into all the world in all avenues of society. And we've got to be a part of a movement. And just because if you are called into Hollywood, the way that you're going to deal with sin issues there, 
it's going to look different than the one who's called to politics. So don't be talking bad about the one who's in politics if you're in the arts world. You see what I'm saying? We have to unify and respect each other that what they're doing, you're just a part of a movement. We just have to start moving. You have to say, what is this flower that I carry? What is this thing that I carry? What is this destiny that God's birthed in me? And then have something before you that even when hope is against hope, you are looking at it and you do not get distracted by the enemy saying, who are you? You can't do this. You're nothing special. You didn't really hear what you think you heard. You're not supposed to do that. And you just keep looking and you keep marching and you get those who are with you in the same movement to help build you up. So what is the flower you're carrying? And are you going to say yes to God's movement? Because it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be easy. And then I also want to challenge you in this area when it comes to, to loving people. You love the world, but you fight against the darkness. Somehow we have to figure out how to balance that. Because what the world is okay with is they're okay with Jesus coming as a baby and we sing these songs about angels and glory to God and peace on earth and Jesus came as a baby. But then you get into Easter and you start talking about that there is sin and there is hell and there is punishment. People don't like that. So don't believe the enemy's counterfeit of love. Because the enemy, is a, he counterfeits everything. Why does he counterfeit? Has anybody ever seen counterfeit money? What do you know about counterfeit money? Do they counterfeit $1 bills? Why? Because it's not valuable. Do they counterfeit $3 bills? Why? Because it's not real. So if you see a counterfeit, if you see a counterfeit, it's because it is valuable and because it is real. So we've got to be light and shine truth. As light... We're not supposed to be responding to the darkness. We're not supposed to go, oh, there's darkness over there, and I'm going to go, and I'm going to go expose it. And don't wait for darkness to rise up. I think we've done that where something happens, and so we're always constantly reacting. We are not supposed to be in defense. We are offensive. We always have the ball. We always have the game plan. You just have to be listening to what the Father's telling you. So don't react to darkness. You just have to be a part of the light and a part of a movement. So um, I'm going to get Melanie and the team, I guess, back up here. And here's what I want to do. They're going to play, and I want you to have a chance to respond to this. Because I don't believe that I necessarily said anything great, but I do know that the Holy Spirit spoke to you. Somewhere, somewhere through this message, the Holy Spirit spoke to you, whether it's about what is the flower you're carrying, where are you called to, what influence are you supposed to have in the world? And so, um, yeah, just give yourself a chance to hear God speak and respond to whatever it is that he's, he's saying.
They bow before.
we're going to... Um, we're going to uh, keep worshiping for a minute, and I think they might play after. I just wanted to, as you're sitting here, and I said movement. I've talked about being a part of a movement, but I want to give you an example of what I mean by that, okay? There's a lady who was named Marie Curie, I think. Anyway, what she did was her and her, she won a Nobel Peace Prize for something that has to do with radiation, okay? So they developed the science behind what we now have for x-rays, MRIs, CAT scans. What they did developed our science now that changes the course of the medical field. Many people's lives have been saved because of what their discovery did. But she died of cancer because she carried radioactive stuff in her pocket all the time. She ultimately gave her life, and we are seeing the fruit of what she did. Okay? Martin Luther King Jr. died at 39 years old. That's how old I am. He started a movement and he did not see what his movement created for the future generations. That's what I'm talking about. You're not going to necessarily see the results that you want, but it's not about us. It's about the ones that are back there. It's about Levi. It's about the next generation because let me tell you, the enemy is after our children. They are the ones. They're not going to necessarily change stuff for us, but they're going to change stuff for them. That's what they're after, to put in stuff now so that it grows. They're sowing tares among the wheat so that it's growing, and we need to get out there and be a part of a movement, not for us. It's not about us. It's about the kingdom, and it's about our children and our children's children and our children's children's children because Jesus might not come back in the next 20 years, people. This is what I'm, that's what I'm talking about, is being a part of something that you give your life for and that is worth it. So ask the Lord, what is your movement? when I was talking about that whatever your gifting is, sports, art, 
politics, whatever it is, to go into the world and to do it, I want to give you an example of that. Is that okay? So there's a guy named Sean Bowles out of Los Angeles, and he gives, this is his testimony, okay? He was with, um, I think, it, I don't know who it was. Anyway, there was a girl, and he was prophesying over her, and he has amazing words of knowledge, okay? So he knows things about people that he shouldn't know, and he speaks into them and gives prophetic words. Well, there was this young girl who was in front of him, and so he said that her heart was to become a makeup artist, and that the Lord wanted her to go and do that, that she had been trying to do some other things, but that her passion was makeup and said, the Lord is releasing you to go and follow that dream. So you think makeup, as I'm sure she did, like how in the world is that going to bring glory to the kingdom to go be a makeup artist? Well, she's in Los Angeles and she's really good at what she does. So she is having opportunity to be on the set of movies and to be light on movie sets and to be able to speak into people's lives. Well, here, here's the two things that happen. You remember the girl who um, was in the news, People Magazine did an article on her. She was diagnosed with some type of chronic illness. And so she decided to go ahead and end her life before the illness took over. This girl, the makeup artist, did her makeup for her People interview. And this girl, is a believer and will speak into people's lives. So she had opportunity to be one-on-one -on -one with this young girl before she, and she went through with committing suicide, but she had opportunity. God placed her in that position to be able to speak into her life before that. The other thing is, is she was also at a, somebody called and said, we have a high profile client that um, has asked for you and we want you to go do, I think it was, manicure or makeup I can't remember and so she gets there and it's Bruce Jenner he said I picked you because your name was Caitlin she was able to minister to him where else would they have opportunity for a Christian to be able to speak into his life so I don't care what it is that God's called you to do whether it's makeup it's basketball. I don't care what it is. The Lord can use it. And if it's placed in you, give it back to Him. So that's what I mean by going and, in, and, going and be in society.